We started a series several weeks ago from Romans chapter 13. And we've called this series, It's Time. And we're going to spend several weeks exploring this passage of scripture that begins at verse 11 for us, where Paul said, and do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You know, the Bible speaks of several crowns that a Christian can receive when we go to heaven. And one of those crowns is a crown for people who look for, anticipate, long for the return of Jesus Christ. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, before he was to die, that he was going to get that crown because he anticipated the return of Jesus in the first century. And we are people in the 21st century who are anticipating, looking for the return of Jesus Christ. We don't know the date. Shame on us if we try to predict the date. But the Lord told us we can know the season. And so knowing the time, it's high time to wake up because Jesus is closer today in returning than he was yesterday. And what kind of people ought we to be as we wait for the return of our Savior, as we look with expectation for Jesus to return? That's what this series is about. Last week, we dealt with part two. It's time to know the time, part two. And we looked at the six fulfilled signs of Israel. We did our best to make a point that Israel uh, is the apple of God's eye, that he chose them, those who were not a people, to be a people. And through the patriarchs, beginning with Abram, who would become Abraham, would come one who was prophesied in Genesis to be the seed of the woman, who would come and win this war that Adam and Eve's disobedience plunged us into, a war where we're all losers in terms of sin and death. But the Messiah came, not only through the Hebrew line, but specifically through the tribe of Judah to win our salvation and to buy us and bring us back to God by giving his life in the place of ours on the cross and having risen on the third day. It's the good news. And so we talked about Israel, the nation of Israel last week. We talked about how Jesus said there would be a destruction of the temple and how that prophecy was fulfilled. We talked last week how Israel would be scattered from out of Israel and how that prophecy occurred. We talked about how God would also regather the nation of Israel back to their land that he gave to them, that he promised to them, and that occurred. We also talked about the reestablishment of Israel as a nation once they went back to the promised land. And on May 14th, 1948, that is probably one of the key scriptures of prophecy in our lifetime to see Israel become a nation again, recognized by the United Nations. And how in 1967, through the Six-Day War, they were able to occupy uh, various portions of the city of Jerusalem. So for people who for hundreds of years didn't have their land, 
but was able to get their land back. That's nothing but not only a miracle, but the fulfillment of prophecy. But then we talked about how once in the land, <clears throat> there was a resurgence for the nation of Israel. And also, we learned last week that they would be the focal point of end time uh, politics as we look at the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I would be remiss if I did not mention that just because <clears throat> a group of people happens to be a chosen people, they are a chosen people. Um, that doesn't mean that they are or have been a flawless people. For although they have been in the land, they have not always been good neighbors to those who are around them in the land. A lot of hostility still exists in the land, what we would call Palestine or the Middle East today. But as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for the return of the Prince of Peace who will reign in Jerusalem. So I want you to go with me today in part three of it's time to know the time. Uh, we're going to look at the three yet to be fulfilled signs of Israel. So I'm going to move quickly. Um, if I were a pizza man delivering a pizza, uh, this is a meat lover's pizza that I'm delivering today. This is not a single topping pizza. This is a, a meat lover's and I'm going to give it to you real fast, which means you may have spiritual indigestion as a result of all this meat we're about to, from the word we're about to give you. But I believe it can be done. You're going to hear three words today, uh, tribulation, salvation, and primacy. Uh, we're going to look at the tribulation of Israel the salvation of Israel, and the primacy of Israel. These are the yet-to-be-fulfilled signs of Israel. So let's look quickly at, number one, the tribulation of Israel as the first unfulfilled future sign of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. It says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Again, I got to watch the places where I elaborate today, um, but I want you to notice that this time that is coming, this great day, this great day of tribulation where there has never been a day like the day that's coming. The prophet Jeremiah said that it is a time of Jacob's trouble or Israel's trouble. It is not the time of the church's trouble. And we made a point last week to say that the church does not replace Israel in the Bible. They are two distinct entities that will be one in the future, but are not one now. Jesus said, I have sheep of another pasture that I must go. We learned last week that he would give the kingdom to another group of people, i.e. the Gentiles. But that doesn't mean that he has forgotten, forsaken, neglected Israel. Israel is going through a time of blindness, a hardening right now. And there's even a purpose in their disobedience. So that according to Paul, Romans chapter 9, 10 and 11, the Gentiles might be grafted into the vine of salvation that began with Israel. So because of their unbelief, we've been grafted in. But for God to get their attention, for God to ultimately save Israel, it's going to take tribulation. It's going to take a hard time. It's going to take a tough season because whenever he dealt with his people in the Old Testament uh, and they would stray and go away from him, he would order up a captivity to get their attention. He would order up a jail cell. He would order up a hard time because God knows people because sometimes a hard time is the only time some of us will pray. 
God knows when we're struggling, when we're in a jail cell. That's the only time we'll look up to him and ask for help. So he'll use tribulation, persecution to get us back to him. And there is coming a time where there will be great tribulation and it will be Jacob's trouble for the purpose of purifying Jacob to get Jacob right with God. Oh, let me read to you from Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. So it's the time of Jacob's trouble, a time whereby Levi, the sons of Levi, will be purified. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, this future time of tribulation. At that time, Michael, which is an angel, shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. So Daniel is prophesying there is coming a time, a time of trouble, Jacob's trouble to purify the sons of Levi. Matthew 24, 21, Jesus said, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So we think the times that we're in right now are bad and they are with hurricane after hurricane and atrocity after atrocity, mudslides in Africa. I mean, so much injustice going on everywhere. And Jesus says, it's going to be worse. We might be in the season of labor pains preparing for that season. We don't know, but our salvation, the coming of the king, we're closer today than we were yesterday. He's coming. And when he comes, there's going to be tribulation when he comes, pain when he comes. He's going to make everything new because the old is so bad. The Bible says also in Daniel 9, 27, then he, I'll add here, the um, abomination that causes desolation or the Antichrist, then he, Daniel 9, 27, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. If we were to dissect Daniel, we would know that one week speaks of a season of time called seven years. So he'll make a covenant for seven years, but in the middle of the week or in the middle of the seven years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So whoever this person is, he's going to make a covenant with Israel, allowing them to not only rebuild the temple, but to make sacrifices in the temple. But the Bible goes on to say, and on the wing of abominations shall he, or, or excuse me, shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So some see the seven years 
as tribulation, but the last three and a half years as the great tribulation when the enemy, or rather the Antichrist, breaks a peace treaty that he makes with Israel and his anger and displeasure is pulled out on the Jews, so much so where three-fourths of them, according to scripture, will die at his hand. So these things are yet to be. They're coming. These are signs that the Bible speak, speaks on. And we're going to believe that they're literal unless the Bible tells us otherwise. We're not going to allegorize the text to fit the box of our systematic theology. When the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. And when it's repetitive over and over again about a time of trouble, a time of trouble, then we need to take heed and we need to pray for Israel. So somebody said, okay, time of trouble is coming. Okay, okay. Uh, Jacob's trouble, purging uh, the Jews, getting them ready to receive Jesus. What's going to happen with the church? What's up with the body of Christ that is largely Gentile? Will we be in this time of tribulation? Will we be spared from this time of tribulation? And let me just say to you, there are volumes upon volumes in libraries written by people smarter than I am who have different views of when Jesus will return, how Jesus will return, what will happen with the Jews, what will happen with the church. Um, and so we're not here to try to say emphatically that we've got the corner on the market on interpretation. No, our goal is to have a sound interpretation. That's what Paul told Timothy and Titus to have, have sound doctrine. Nobody has perfect doctrine, but can your doctrine be proven in scripture? Does your doctrine come from scripture? And there are people who see different views about the church's place in end times or eschatology. Uh, but I want you to know that there's a position this church teaches from. Uh, again, we're not saying we, we have the only game in town or we know it all, but we do have a position that we teach from. And that is we believe that Jesus will come back before the tribulation period to take the church back. We call it the rapture. We believe in the rapture. We teach the rapture strong tower. There are people in the church here that don't believe in the rapture. We believe that Jesus will come back to earth uh, right before the millennium where he will reign for a thousand years. So if you were to put us in a theological category, strong tower would be pre-tribulational, pre-millennial in terms of the return of Jesus Christ, which means the church will not be here, as I'm explaining in a moment, during this time of Jacob's trouble, it's not the church's trouble. God is going to take us out, and his attention, if you will, will be focused exclusively on reforming the sons of Levi. So the church will be taken out. So, um, again, you've got pre-mill views and uh, uh, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, I-mill views. But do we agree that Jesus is coming back? I mean, that, that's the main thing. We, we believe he's coming back because I got a feeling if Jesus doesn't come according to my belief before the tribulation period and he comes in the middle of the tribulation, the mid-trib view, three and a half years, and he takes the church up, I'm not going to go up saying to the other brother that believed he was coming in the mid, uh, man, I sure was wrong about that. And he better not say to me as we going up to see Jesus, I told y'all I had this thing right. <laughs> No, we're just glad he's coming, and he's coming for me, and he knows my name. So many views, but to try to make it clear, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
Strong Tower, Bible Church. What do we teach? We teach that Christ is coming back for the church that will usher in the time of Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation. The church will be taken out of the way. All right, let me get there. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is writing to a group of people who has questions about the end times. We all have questions. And he says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He's coming back for you. He's coming back for those who have died in the Lord. When people die in the Lord, their spirit goes to heaven, their body goes to the ground. So they're in heaven in a disembodied state, if you will, but there is coming a day when their ashes and their remains will meet up with their spirit and be transformed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 John chapter 3, uh, uh, and, and those folks will go first. We will come behind them if we are alive when Jesus returns in the air and says, come up. So all this is in the Bible. Again, I can't chase this too far, but I do want to say this, and I want you to get this. The coming or the return of the Lord Jesus is in two stages. Okay, listen to this. His coming, his return is in two stages. He's coming back in the rapture. He's coming back in the revelation. Pastor, what do you mean? The word rapture is not in the Bible. No, it's not. But if you look at verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4, the two words caught up come from a Greek word harpazo, which means to snatch away, as if someone would throw out a harpoon to try to snatch something out of the sea or an ocean, a whale or what have you, harpazo, to snatch. But this term also comes from rapture, comes from what we call the Latin Vulgate. So before we got the Bible in English, it went through various translations uh, Koine Greek, the common Greek that was written in the first century. And then from the Greek, it was translated to the Latin. And the Latin Vulgate, written by a brother named Jerome, got to be a black dude named Jerome. I don't know too many white people named Jerome. So there's this brother named Jerome who gives us the Latin Vulgate. And the church used that version for over a thousand years before we got the King James Version. So watch this. In the Latin Vulgate, this term caught up is the word raptire, raptire, which in the Greek is harpazo. So raptire comes from the Latin, which is rapture. So when we talk about the rapture, we're talking about when the church is snatched away or caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Now, in the Revelation, Jesus is coming to the earth. And so that's how we distinguish the two. So stick with me as I try to give you a couple of characteristics of the rapture and the revelation. The return of Jesus is in two stages or phases. In the rapture, Jesus comes back in the air. In the revelation, Jesus comes back to the earth. In the rapture, Jesus' return is invisible. Only the church will see him, and it will happen instantaneously. 
in the revelation, Jesus' return will be visible. Every eye will see him. In the rapture, no one can predict the time when it will happen. Could happen today, could happen tomorrow, could happen 100 years from now. But once the church is taken out of the way, the revelation, the time of Jesus' return to earth can be calculated and anticipated if we believe in a literal seven years based on Daniel chapter 9. In the rapture, Jesus comes like a thief in the night. But in the revelation, he comes like a king in the day. In the rapture, Jesus comes back for the church. But in the revelation, he comes back with the church. In the rapture, Jesus comes back to deliver. But in the revelation, he comes back to destroy. In the rapture, Jesus appears to save the church. In the revelation, Jesus appears to save Israel. The rapture is like Enoch in the Old Testament, who walked with God for hundreds of years and was miraculously taken away. Nobody can explain what happened, where he went. He was taken away. He was a picture of the rapture. Somebody says, I don't believe God can do that. Well, if you don't believe God can take people away, then you don't believe Jesus could rise again from the dead. I mean, if you put limitations on what God can't do, then you don't know who God is. Yes, God can do that. But then Noah represents uh, Israel during the tribulation because Noah and his family were in an ark of safety for a period of time before God rescued them afterwards. So Noah represents the Jewish people who will go through a period of tribulation and Jesus will rescue them afterwards. So the tribulation of Israel, again, we can sit down, we can talk, hopefully never debate but I believe the Bible teaches that this time of tribulation is for the Jews, that the Lord may purify them. Oh, you've got to get with me on this one. Part two, number two, rather, the salvation of Israel. Because Paul would say a person is not a Jew because they're one outwardly. A person is a Jew just like us who are Gentiles who come to faith because the heart has been changed by grace through faith in Christ. So you can have all of the Jewish, you know, circumcision and keeping the law and all that stuff. But that's not what a true Jew is, even though you can trace your ancestry back. A true Jew is one of the heart. How will Jews be saved? The same way we're saved, by faith in Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39. Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house, speaking of the temple, is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you as a nation, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, a few days before that, Jesus came into Jerusalem where people were singing from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the Pharisees were savior hating on the Lord. They're like, no, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be the king that Zechariah prophesied, lowly riding into Jerusalem. No, no, he's not the one. But there were other people who were saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they even went so far as to say from Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us now. Hosanna, Hosea, which is Jesus' name, Yeshua, Hosea, 
Jesus is the Savior. So when they're calling for the Messiah or the King, they're saying, save us now. The Jews didn't accept Jesus because he wasn't the King they were looking for. They were looking for a military leader. Jesus says, before I deliver y'all nationally, I got to deliver you spiritually first. I got to come as a lamb, then I'll come back as a lion. But as he came into Jerusalem and they were singing, Hosanna, save us now, the Pharisees, the bulk of the people weren't doing that. Jesus says, I tell you what, y'all won't see me again till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until you say, save us now. The one you rejected, the one you didn't want to trust. Jesus said, for that generation, there will come a time where the persecution will be so heavy, you're going to look up to the hills from whence cometh your help. You're going to look up and you're going to say, Jesus, save us now. We didn't say that when you walked the earth, but we're saying it now. It's going to take persecution to save Israel. Church, it's not always about us. As I said last week, we're the second team on the team. Israel is the first team on the team. Zechariah 12.10, it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. How does any of us get saved when God pours grace out on us? He says the same to us in Ephesians 1. Grace has been poured out that we may trust God. So God says a spirit of grace and supplication is being poured out on the house of David. Then they will look on me, capital M, whom they pierced. Because when Jesus comes back, we're going to see the nail prints in his hands. The Jews are going to say, save us now. And when they see Jesus coming, they're going to look on him whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. The mourning will be, why didn't our generations trust him? He is who he said he was. He is the Messiah. He is the king. And the Bible says they will grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Revelation 1, 7, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. Jewish people get offended when you say that they killed the Christ. Now, they are culpable for the death of Christ, uh, but so are the Romans, the world. But so are we because it was our sins that put Jesus on the cross. And so the world is going to look on him whom they pierced. The, the rapture happens so quickly, they're not going to see. The church will see him as we're going up. And we'll be transformed to be made just like him because we're going to see him as he is. But the world won't see him at the rapture. But they're going to see him at the revelation. And they're going to look on the one that they've pierced. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. So all of these unbelievers are going to say, it was true. He is the son of God. We were wrong. And we are doomed. Revelation 19, 11. I'm just trying to get, now, this is by no means an exhaustive uh, batch of scripture. But just to let you know, Israel is going to be saved. Verse 11 of Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven open, which by the way happened after the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb, again, Jesus is going to come and get the church out. We are called the bride of Christ. The same language is used in Revelation and that language is never used of Israel. Just like we are not the apple of God's eye, Israel is not the bride of Christ technically, okay? So in Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the lamb is happening. Why is that happening then? Because in Jewish culture, when a young man wanted to marry someone, 
he would go away to his father's house and build an addition onto the room at his father's house. Then at a time when the bride didn't know he was coming because romantically he wanted to surprise her and he also wanted to make sure that she was looking for him because she madly in love with her groom. The groom would leave the father's house because Jesus said, I got to go to my father's house. I got to build a house for you so, so that where I am there, you will be also. So he goes and he gets the bride, snatches us up when we don't expect, but we should be looking for him because we love him. Every day we're seeking him. We loving him. So our mind is on him. We don't know when he's coming, but we want him to come. Come on, Lord. So he gets us and he takes us back to the father's house where the groom would stay with the bride for seven days, locked in the chamber, celebrating their marriage. Then he comes out with his bride to the world. Jesus is going to come back, take the church back to heaven to his father's house. Not seven days, but seven years will go on down here of tribulation to purify Israel while we are at the marriage supper of the lamb celebrating with our groom. And then he will come back to earth with us as the armies of God following him as he comes down now to rescue Israel and make the two one new person. Oh man, I wish I had more time, but let me go on here. Verse 11, now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies in heaven. Who's that? That's us. Those are the saints. Oh, so let me tell you something. If you've never been to Israel, you're going to go one day. You're going to get there one day. And the Bible says we are clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We followed him on white horses. How come we don't have no weapons? Because this army don't need to fight. Because the fight was already fought for us on Calvary. And we're going to let Jesus do the fighting. Verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people free and slave both small and great and I saw the beast the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brim stone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh oh he's going to save Israel he's going to conquer and defeat these armies oh but I got to give you one more that's going to make your gizzard flip Zechariah chapter 14 y'all If you don't read your Bible, you better start reading it now. You better start reading Zechariah 14 before Adriana comes to sing and Homer closes us in prayer. 
Zechariah 14. I'll start at verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. Not Washington, D.C., not Moscow, but Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee, speaking of Israel, through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with him. So I love this picture. Tribulation is going to reach its climax, its, its apex evil, death, everything is going on. And Jesus says, it's time. And he comes back riding on a white horse, the armies of God, the church, we're riding with him on white horses. Jesus is going to speak the word and he's going to destroy armies as they're standing in their place. Because later in Zechariah, there's a plague that's going to strike people where their eyeballs are going to roll back in their sockets, meaning that God's going to just destroy people as they stand against him. A nuclear blast is going to come out of the mouth of the son of God. But I love this. Rapture, he's in the air. Revelation, he comes to earth. Revelation chapter 19, he's on a horse. Zechariah 14, his feet hit the ground. So somewhere between heaven and earth, the Lord, the king, dismounts that white horse and lands with such force on the Mount of Olives that the mountain cannot even hold the weight of his glory and it splits in two. So he's going to dismount midair. He's going to come back and save Israel, the apple of his eye. Oh, pastor, I don't believe that. There were a lot of people who didn't believe that Mary could be a virgin and give birth to the son of God. And their unbelief has them in hell right now. So I believe it because God said it. But finally, the primacy of Israel. Why is he making such a big fuss in Jerusalem? What's going to happen? Isaiah 2, 2, y'all. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. So when he comes back, he's going to rule. He's going to reign and and we're going to reign with him. Uh, Revelation chapter 5 says we're going to reign. He's made us to be a kingdom of priests and we will reign with him. So in our glorified bodies, we will reign with Jesus on the earth. Those who uh, 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 serve him, I think it's 1 Timothy, we will reign with him. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn 
war anymore. Isaiah 9, 6, we just don't need to quote it at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus will reign. He deserves to reign. We don't make him king. We acknowledge that he is the king. He's going to give man a shot at reigning in the world, whether it was the Jews, the Medo-Persians, the Babylonians, the Romans, the United States. Man can't lead the way only God can lead. And he's coming. He will lead in truth, justice, and righteousness. But then Zechariah 14, 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Oh, Jesus, you're so worthy. In that day it shall be. The Lord is one and his name one. The three yet to be fulfilled signs of Israel, the tribulation, their salvation, because Paul said all Israel will be saved. All Israel who's supposed to be saved will be saved, but also the primacy of the nation because of the primacy of the king of the Jews. Jesus said in Revelation 22.7 and Revelation 22.12, Behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. To which the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. The spirit and the bride say, come. And if anyone has ears, we say, come. Strong Tower, what do you have to say about the Lord's return? Amen. Adriana, come.
Mary sent him to die. I scarce can take it in that on that cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my savior God to Sings my 
Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for watching over each and every one of us, Father God. Thank you for your comfort, Father. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Be with each and every one of us, Father, as we uh, head back home. Father God, thank you for the spiritual food that you have here in this house, Lord. We just thank you for being the great God that you are. Thank you for the worship team, for Pastor Chris. Father God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for forgiving us of all our sins, Lord. Be with each and every one of us, Lord. Encourage us to show love to one another. Thank you for being with the saved and the unsaved. And Father God, I just ask you to have mercy on the Tennessee volunteers. In Jesus' name, amen.